ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome back to another episode of Hard in the Pain with David Grubb. And um, today, um, I have not had either of these gentlemen on together on my show. Kevin never did the radio show. Chris did the radio show, but they have been they have they, they have been waiting to to have a podcast radio appearance together. So today, I welcome my colleagues from thebirdrights.com, Kevin Barrios and Chris Connor. Gentlemen, welcome. Too Hard in the Paint, the podcast. Thanks for having us. You know, I'm just happy to be on. Um, is this the first threesome that's ever been on the, that's yes. ever been in the hard, hard in the paint? Yes, I guess. Yes. So now we have to start, we have to start dressing different because I, you know, <laughs> I have not had three on the show before. So I have to get a new gold chain. I got to start opening up the shirt a little bit more. Just now I'm taking it to a new level. All right. It's like skiing. You know, <laughs> got to buy all that shit now. It's great you to be on, careful man. with your kinks, man. It gets expensive. See, now, see, uh, you know, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have this high caliber of conversation if it was Ollie and Preston around, right? <laughs> they want to talk about dogs and children. I don't, I, I don't have either as of right now. I just, I'd rather try to figure out Kevin's jokes and, and laugh with you, Grub. <laughs> well, I have both a child and a dog, but I can compartmentalize them and put them away. So um, I for for while you guys are around, this is a this is hard to paint after dark, I guess. Yeah, those guys, those guys are just too nice. They're too nice. <laughs> So if this were yeah if there, if this were a TV show or it would be on Skin and Max and there'd be some woman pulling down the shade and some cheesy music in the background as we go to Hard in the Pain after dark I'm a threesome you. a threesome get, on Hard in the Pain after dark it's perfect you gotta get Rhonda Shear to do the your intro before this starts USA up all, there's USA up all night right all night. yep yep that's what it, yeah and we get I guess Morgus is gonna have to do some commercials too for me. I love so, so we did all the notes there. All of the notes. Does now, does now being on my podcast and you guys have been on other podcasts, is this one of the top five podcasts you've ever been on? <laughs> Kevin, you first. <laughs> yeah, I just want to see how many questions you throw at me rapid fire style. But I would definitely say this is actually my first time on your podcast. So we'll have, right. we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know at the end. But you got. You got a lot of uh, you got a lot of um, high level competition you're going up against. I gotta say, Chris, you're not in New Orleans. You're in Chicago, but you that is a thriving sports radio market. Mm-hmm. You've obviously had a number of appearances on radio shows in New Orleans. Yeah, what do you see as a big difference between that market and this market, either in the content that's being provided or not provided? It, for all intents and purposes, every, New Orleans should have everything that a great sports town has to make radio successful. Well, I think more than anything, man, is 
I think people want to hear from more than just one style of voice, one color of voice. Uh, you know, we all like new flavors of anything in life. A after a while, no matter you know who's on who's on top in sports or in, in in entertainment or you know, we all at some point we're ready for something else to emerge, whether it be a young a young stud or whether it be someone who is who is underrated of sorts that maybe been around the game a little bit but finally got their shot. And I think um I think in New Orleans for so long, while you know, there may be a few a few legendary names that people can think of that come to mind. Um I think that it's it's time to expand beyond that. And one of the reasons that your show is, you know, as in, important as it is, uh, Brian and, and uh, Nader's show, you know, it, it, because it's it's beyond your your basic, boring, uh, good old boy style of style of podcast style of show. And I, I mean, let's be honest, man. I mean, New Orleans is a it's a black city to me. It just it just is. And after a while, as generations continue to grow and uh, and evolve, people are going to want to hear from people that look like them, that joke, that joke like they do, that have different experiences that they do, music, so on and so forth. And I, I just don't think that it's enough. Chicago is such a is such a big big city, and it's so segregated that they can you know they can get away with it out here. But when you're as small as New as New Orleans is, I think it's totally different. Um, my hope is that, you know, you continue to go forward in this stretch, man, and, you know, the support will continue to grow. And I think as long as we continue to have guys, guys like you that are really out here pushing it, that, that look like you come from a different culture, whether that's popular or not, I really don't give a damn. Um, I think eventually, you know, things can start to change. Well, I'll sl I'll slide you some money later, okay? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, that wasn't you know that wasn't to uh, to a no, brown no, no. nose, you man. It's no, the honest no, no. truth, you know. No, I appreciate truth. that. I appreciate that, but Kevin, from your perspective, because you weren't a guy that listened. I mean, you know, before I had my show, I don't think I had ever heard you talk about sports radio. So yeah. you consume it as you consume podcasts more often, and is has that been something that? the market had neglected in just developing strong podcasts too. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's that. I think we have a lot of uh, new podcasts, which I really like that people are constantly producing new podcasts. Even if I can't keep up with them all, I'm just glad they all exist. And the more people talking about the team, the better. Um, but I think in terms of radio, um, I when I'm driving, I mostly want to listen to music. So I usually don't have the talk radio on in my car i'm very big into music so and i love driving and just listening to records like i'll just go drive to have an excuse to listen to music sometimes like just be like i want to listen to this record so i'm just gonna drive across the bridge and come back and and that's it just to listen to music um so like talk radio doesn't really enter into my in my car stereo much and then in my house all i have is a record player and like bluetooth speakers so again i'm not i don't have a receiver i just listen to only way i consume music is like uh through um mp3s or streaming services and then uh vinyl so like i don't even have like a you know a stereo receiver to to get um talk radio so i was really glad when you became more of a podcast even i mean i'm sorry i don't know if, it, if you're liking this better than being on the radio or not 
But for me, in terms of a consumer, having your show load into my um, into my Spotify every day is better for me to consume you because like I'll put it on while I'm working on something on my phone and like play it through a Bluetooth speaker or whatever. So I hear it more. And then the other thing is just like um, ESPN signal here is so terrible. Like you can't, I can't pick it up even in my car in my neighborhood. I live in the Bywater and it's like, doesn't come in uh, anywhere on my ride around or it's super low or staticky and cuts out. So that's a problem. And then like you go to 870 and it's like such a conservative radio station that I don't really want to fuck with it much. And then, you know, they're so football focused and I'm, I don't really care about football, especially anything outside of Saints. Like uh, Saints, you know, are in your blood if you're from New Orleans. Like your, my grandfather's live and died with that every Sunday. So I have connection to that. So I am interested in that somewhat. Um but like, I don't give a shit about LSU, and definitely not high school football. So you know, like eight seventy is like kind of worthless to me. And then when they do cover the right. Falcons, it's usually like embarrassingly ill ill informed. Like I remember one time I was driving to work, and it was like it was like uh, the day before we were playing um, Portland game three in the in the uh, playoffs. It was going to be the first home game in the playoffs of that Portland series and Bobby A. Bear is trying to figure out what our team uniform colors are. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, so like, yeah, so I don't really have that connection with uh, with talk radio much. Um, but also I would just say, like going back to what you guys were talking about, I feel like in a way as a city, we have local band complex, you know, where it's like, oh, that's just local. And you want to hit, and people like want to go to the big name act, you know, and and listen to that big name act, and not really pay attention to the local band. Like the big name gets your money, the 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 local podcast gets two drink tickets, you know, and that's how they survive. Um, I think it's starting to shift a little bit more, and I think part of that is due to what Chris said, in the sense that you know, understanding that this city is a black city, and we're starting to have more black voices and podcasts on the radio and i think that's creating a whole new uh fan base and market uh, it's starting to shift where people are starting to appreci- appreciate local um content more especially as you know espn has such a big market agenda that we're kind of like a refuge for people to rally around in a sense um but i think for the longest time it definitely we definitely have local band syndrome here and a infer- inferiority complex somewhat too where we mm. infight a lot which uh, you know i think is getting better um, crossing, you know, platforms and talking to each other and becoming mm-hmm. friendly with people that write for another thing or have a different podcast and going on their podcast and things like that, which I think are good because, I mean, why should we infight? I think that's one of the uh, bigger problems that we've had for the last few years, but I think that's also getting better. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that what New Orleans has failed to do is I think people are used to just eating the same meal. You know what I mean? It's like it's red red beans and rice on Monday. And that's cool. If that's what you you know, you love that, that's that's cool. But there are plenty of people who don't want to eat red beans and rice on Monday. And New Orleans radio is particularly with sports that they give you the same thing. Every channel is having the same discussion about the same thing, just in a different pitch. You know what I mean? So I think we not only is New Orleans a black city, but we also have to remember that it's a city that is getting younger. It is a city that is 
um, filled with also a, a whole new generation of people who came from outside and have stuck around who are young and want to talk about stuff other than the Saints because they brought team loyalties that weren't necessarily the Saints or sport loyalties from the Northeast or from wherever you come from. And you want to talk more about some baseball. You want to talk about soccer. Some want to talk MMA. I mean, some people want to talk gaming and there haven't been. And yes, it's great to have those in podcasts and have those individual places to go to. But I think like if you're in a, in the radio business or the TV business in a city that is a sports town, that there has to be more of that conversation about those other things. Because if all we're giving you, you know, from that side, from from CBS or NBC or ABC, your local affiliates, if all they're giving you is Saints, LSU, and um, Pelicans, and they're treating those three things in and of themselves as the only stories, and they're not covering them well outside of the Saints in LSU, that's where all the energy is devoted on those things. I think for more people than not, at some point, that gets to be numb. No, I mean, I, I agree. Like, and an, another, another element of that is, you know, people, people, when I was growing up and I was listening to radio in New Orleans, I felt like, I mean, the only reason I went there outside of my, for my own entertainment purposes was to be informed in a way, it was for me to be educated because I felt like I was listening to people that knew more about the sport or whatever I was tuning into than I did. And, you know, I feel like there are certain shows that get a lot of love and a lot of respect in the city. They're just built off of characters that just show up, act a fool, say wild shit, and they're able to be loved for it. I'm not going to say who or such that that is, but, but we've had a few over time when in reality, man, while, whether it's it's after a win, it's after a loss. I don't necessarily want emotional reactions on things. I want somebody with perspective. I want to listen to people that are knowledgeable. I want to listen to people that could tell me something, bring me bring me a side that maybe I didn't look at, you know. And whether or not it makes me feel better about the outcome of the game or whatever the you know the event is, I left that show with something. It's no different from. When I watch when I watch something on TV, most of the time I just don't watch anything. A lot of times I want to watch something that's going to leave me with something for me to think about afterwards. Um, and I think um, I think we've gotten more into having characters than people that actually know what the hell they're talking about in depth. Kevin, it's like uh, I, I I want to get your reaction. Is I'm thinking of it like on the court. Everybody wanted to be the Golden State Warriors. They said, oh, this is how you play. The way that they play, that's how you do it. But you don't have Steph Curry and you don't have Klay Thompson. You don't have Kevin Durant. So you cannot do that shit. The same with inside the NBA on TNT. People have been trying to recreate that show for since it came on. Mm-hmm. Keep trying. But it's not a formula. It's a thing. You know what I'm saying? So like, it, you, you can have all the fucking character you want and all the jokes and you can be as colloquial as you like. But if you if I think a, a lot of times me as a consumer, even if you feel like I'm, you're watching TV and the person talking to you about the event, you feel like I know more than them. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, if I don't respect you ever. I can't mm-hmm. respect you if I feel like sitting at home. I know more than you and not in that arrogant way that we can disagree about something. But in that way of just this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Where this lady doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about, about this, about basketball. You know what I mean? And that yeah. pisses me off. 
you just been watching the president talk too much lately. Is <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying too, but I think one of the main problems with a lot of the national shows is there's just a, a fabricated agenda as well. Whereas like, it's like, okay, you're going to play this role and you're going to play this role and you don't necessarily really believe in this stance or you don't believe in it as heavy handedly as you're going to make it seem on TV, but we're just going to fight now on TV to create drama and and people like it for i guess people like it i don't understand why more locally like you're sitting and you're like on those radio stations on those tv stations if you're at home and and you're this is your local team but your commentators like chris is saying if i'm not getting anything from you other than what i could have gotten in the, the the 90 second clip i saw on espn who is not the people who are paid to cover this team locally then you know that part to me is is almost insulting that they treat you as the fan and me as the fan too. Yeah. You know, the part of me is that that I, I should be getting something out of this other than superficial stuff like we suck, we're great, coach bad, coach good, dunk good, <laughs> dunk bad. Dunk. You know that's what you're getting on a yeah. regular basis. There's not a lot being added to the conversation. The team. And the other, like, blogosphere and, and New Orleans basketball Twitter doesn't give you guys the respect that you deserve. And that, that sometimes gets disheartening, especially, like, you know, when you see – when I mean, I hope I'm not getting you in trouble with anything, but I, I, I don't like the way that the team treats you guys. I think you guys produce way more content and way more engaging content than people who – have bigger names and have and ask damn back. and ask damn good questions and and ask damn good questions that are more than <laughs> Zion looked great today. Why do you think he looked great? How did Zion look about? How did Zion look after playing fifteen minutes? Well, it's the same questions every single day in a different way. It's bland vanilla ice cream, red beans and rice, whatever you want to call it. There's no deep thought into it. You know, and that's what that's what's irritating. Like people, you know, not only do I want knowledge, man, but I want somebody. Maybe, maybe I had a rough day, dog. If I'm if I'm driving on, like if I'm on the radio, most people, like to me, right, that that consume radio, they have long drive. They're driving home from work. They're truck drivers. They had something in which, you know, I'm turning on this radio because I may just need somebody just to make me laugh. You know what I'm saying? Somebody, somebody that not only is giving me some type of so, you know, it's a balance. And I yeah. think that's one thing the city lacks is balance. You're trying to get all of the fans into the table, you know, and say, man, like you said, Kevin, bring you and when you and Kevin write stuff, there's a part of you that's more, you know, that's analytical yet. Y'all, y'all connect on that fan level and the cultural level because it is that sports is that it's all of those things. It's the, it's the game itself. It's the statistics. It's the execution. It's the emotion. It's the popular culture of it. It's the fashion, all those things. And there are people who want bits and pieces of all that. And if you don't present that, and I think, and I always say that when people ask me about our site and I say, that's because you'll get a taste of whoever you are on the spectrum, you're going to find something on our site that you do. Totally. Yep, want it. And the shit that you don't dig is going to piss you off for a specific reason, not because it's not good. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a standard. So if you if you don't dig it, it's probably because you know, hey, it, it either hit you the wrong way or it wasn't it was something you agreed with, but it wasn't because it was dog shit put on on screen. 
Yeah. I mean, or it wasn't just, it didn't, it wasn't aimed at you, you know, like what, what your avenue is, you know, like I'm well aware that what I write is, is an acquired taste. Like I'm not going to be everybody's flavor. You know what I mean? Cause I'm not providing that analytical breakdown, those kind of things. I'm trying to do something different and there's going to be people that, that really dig it. And there's going to be people that really hate it. And I don't mind that, you know, it's, it's just, I'm trying to present something, fill, fill a little bit of a void um, and provide something different and new while we also have all that other stuff right. on the site. You know, so I, I think that's what's great is that we have so many people and from all over, from different walks of life, different races. I wish we had some women on there. Hopefully that happens eventually. Um, but, right. you know, like there's just so many people and then there's so much content produced all the time. That, you know, it's like we don't have a signature sound, you know, if we're, you know, if you wanted to compare it to a record label, like we don't have a signature sound. We have a bunch of individuals that have different voices, but that work in harmony together and and fit together in some way. But, um, you know, it's a lot of different things going on. And I think that's what makes us unique. Plus, we're like one of the few places that still really write a lot. You know, a lot of people just focus on Twitter and, and podcasting, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also nice to have something that you can really sink your teeth into and and read and pretend like you're working while you're at your day job and like <laughs> you know get something more uh, something more worthwhile for your time than uh, doing some uh, bullshit work. To date, to date ourselves further, I just say for Chris. You know, I'm gonna see if he'll get it, but we're more stacks than Motown. Yeah, you know, because Motown had the assembly line approach. Everybody played the same record until I find the one that does it right. Stacks, everybody's who they are. So I think that's 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 what I would say. Is you, everybody? Have you, been, have you been to the Stacks Museum? Just as a side note, I have not yet. Oh, it's so good. You gotta go. Last time we were in Memphis, we just did not have enough time. And yeah, that's awesome. my daughter was is is like. My daughter is hypnotized by Elvis, and that's that's the only time we're gonna mention my daughter in this thing. But she's hypnotized by Elvis, and we spent too much time at Graceland. Graceland was awesome; I'll give it that. But it's too much time, so we didn't get to go to Stacks. Yeah, cool. definitely go next time. It's it's awesome. So, all right. So now we're gonna get into actual basketball, and here we are. It's Tuesday. Um, as of this, uh, the the Rockets and the Blazers are about to start playing. Um, the Pelicans need the Rockets to win that game. Uh, Rockets are what uh, fourth in the West right now. Portland's only a half game ahead of the Pelicans, so this is a, a must lose for the Trailblazers. Looking at this game, the way that these two teams have gotten off, do you like Rockets? Or do you like the Blazers this year? I'm gonna let Chris go first. Um, I like Houston, man. I mean. I think right now um, the level, the level of overall basketball that they're, you know, that they're playing just offensively what they're putting out on the floor. Now, you know, I, I worry that, you know, in both those games, but you know, between Dallas and, and Milwaukee, they got, they got behind a little bit and had to make, you know, some miraculous comeback to end up winning the game. But I mean, you're talking, um, you know, Milwaukee's the best, the best team in in basketball by record, and in my opinion, by construction right now. Even after somehow losing to Brooklyn today, um, you know, in Dallas, Dallas plays Houston four times a year. 
you know, they're pretty familiar with what, what they like to do. And they, they, those two have a lot in common, at least Dallas does in regards to what they're trying to, what they're trying to build uh, over there surrounding Luca with a bunch of shooters and letting him spread the floor, isolate and get to the line, so on and so forth. But um, I mean, for Portland, man, I just, I, I mean, something's going to have to give, you know, you have Portland who's going to come out and they're going to bring Nurkic and Collins and, try to try to impose their size out there on the floor and you got Houston that's gonna that's gonna play their game and go small. Um right now I just I think Houston at a confidence, just when we're talking from a confidence level, they're more together right now. These guys know what to expect. Everybody's clearing their roles. Portland's still still fitting guys back that weren't playing when the season before the season got suspended. And Portland as a team weren't playing all that well before the season got suspended. I just think to to beat Houston in a, on a neutral court right now with the way they get up and down the floor and how Portland's going to have to switch things up and maybe maybe run lineups that they could have ran last year with Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless, but they may, be, they may not be able to run now uh, successfully. I just think it's going to be too much for them to uh, for them to beat Houston tonight. You mentioned Dallas, and then Luka Doncic goes off today, 30-20-10. Um, that's not the, the full stat, but one of the few, I think that's what you said two, this is second 30, 20, 10 triple double this season. Right. And I mean, he's 20 years old. He's 20 years old. And yes, the league is different um, because it is a young man's league, but Luka Doncic just keeps doing wild shit. Kevin. <laughs> just wait until you. We have seen this dude, like, I mean, literally, the games against the Pelicans, just up close and personal, no no one player has embarrassed the Pelicans Man. more than what Luka Doncic has done to them this season. No no team has embarrassed the Pelicans on a regular basis this season the way the Mavericks have. And it's all that dude. And legitimately, at 20, he's going to be a top five MVP candidate this season. That's... What the what the hell is is this kid? Without playing defense, go ahead, Kevin. And without making threes, like he's not really shooting at a good clip from the three point line, but he's jacking a bunch up. Once he gets more, like once those threes start falling, falling, which I expect they will at some point. Uh, man, he's just going to be a nightmare. It's but yeah, not- like you said, Chris, like his defense is terrible, but they just have figured a way. I mean, they have the what they, they have the most efficient offense, right? Um, of all time. Of all time. You can offset bad defense if you can do that, you know. And, and I think that Dallas's main thing is they don't have a great wing defender because we know Porzingis, when he was fully healthy, was a guy who was, you know, league leading, league leading blocks before he got hurt in New York um, mm-hmm. up until that point. And then AD took over and won the blocks title that season. But you know he can do that. You know that Dwight Powell can protect the paint. You, I love you, Powell. You, yes, and he's another dude who kicks the Pelicans' ass every time he, he yeah. sees them. But they don't really – Tim Hardaway's not a wing defender. You know, I mean, they just – the best one they thought that they had was – is, you know, Wesley Matthews, and he blew out his Achilles twice. So, I mean, it's like – they have, I mean, on these twice, excuse me. So it's not like they've had this luck on the wing. Dallas is just really bad at wing, defending anybody on the wing. They don't have a single perimeter defender. Which is why, which is why Brandon Ingram uh, was a few bad bounces away. Or, or I mean, I, I'm sorry, another crazy Luka Doncic 
performance in closing the last time those two teams faced from uh, from beating Dallas in Dallas. I mean, if you remember in that game, Brandon had had it cooking in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. missed a couple shots late, and then uh, Luca went Luca, brought Dallas back, and then I, what they they ended up going into overtime after uh, after a melee three, and then Dallas ended up taking taking over. But yeah, man, I mean that is true. I mean, I know I, I think right now. Uh, I've seen them try to put Dorian Finney-Smith out there to guard some wings, but you know, like you said, they don't—they don't have anyone out there that can uh, give you many problems on the perimeter defensively. Their hope right now is that you know they can play good enough help defense, and you're going to run into Porzingis, and he's going to make something happen. But even if that doesn't happen, they just hope to outscore you. And I mean, hell. Right now, with the way the game is going, that may work against in some matchups. No matter no no matter who they play, they're gonna be hell. But I think long term, uh, they're they're a three and D type guy or a couple three and D type guys away from doing what they, you know, from being a real threat or a real contender. But Luca, man, like he's a dude that can play basketball and can hoop, and it's like and it's yes. it's two it's two separate things. Like he could go he can go to the park and drop fifty because he got a little swagger with him. And he can go and play in, in a controlled environment and score 50 and not say a word, man. You don't find many, many basketball players like that at 20, man. I mean, it's it's crazy what that dude is is already and what he's eventually going to be. Yeah, people who think he's hit a ceiling, I think that they're, they're silly. One of the things that we talked about, Kevin, before we got on here was um, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s injury. Memphis has lost three games. Now they lose him. Um, is this the end for Memphis? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they can come back from this. I mean, they're already missing Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow, so they're getting thinner. Um, you know, another injury happens and they're in super bad trouble. But Jared Jackson is such a good player. Um and they count on him so much. He does so many things for them, spreads the floor, he's a great playmaker. You know, I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I, I feel like if Chris Weber played in this era, he would play a lot like Jared Jackson because they have they both have those tools to be dominant post players, but they kind of fall in love with that jump shot and drift out too far. But they're both also two of the best gifted passers from the uh, from that power forward position. So he reminds me a bit of Chris Weber. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but um, no, I can see it. I can see it. Just not as physical, but yeah, yeah. yeah but in the drift, it, like more in love with the jump shot than Chris Weber. Yeah, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's too much for them to overcome and already starting 0-3 and then looking at that schedule, um, I, I I have my doubts that they'll even be in the playoff for the playoffs. I think you're going to have uh, a different 8th and ninth seed um, and they'll follow, probably fall down to 10th uh, based off of what we've seen from them so far, their schedule, and just these injuries. Chris, then the other team that all of a sudden you have to watch out for is Phoenix, 3-0. and they win today on a crazy uh, jumper with Devin Booker. What yeah. the fuck is going on in Phoenix? Why is Monty Williams – like, seriously, why are we doing this again with Monty Williams, man? Like, this is this is feeling too familiar. Well, I think what's most interesting, it's kind of a reminder of how Phoenix started in the year before DeAndre Aiden got suspended. They were playing pretty good mm-hmm. basketball. Like, Monty yeah. got them off to a good start, and they ironically – beat the Clippers. I think they beat the Clippers in Phoenix when 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 the Clippers were red hot. And I think the next game 
uh, or the next day, DeAndre Aiden was suspended. Um, I, I mean, look, and this is without without Aaron Baines um, right now. I I like a lot of the players that they have over there outside of Devin Booker. I mean, you know, you have a guy in Ricky Rubio who is going to get guys involved. He's, you know, wow, he's he's not going to give you anything defensively, but he's improved his three-point shot, and he knows how to run an offense. It allows Devin Booker to play off the ball. I think Book, for two months in his career, due to different coaches and injuries and just bad drafting, has had to move around too much in, like, positions. And this year he's playing point guard. He's playing the two guard this year. Then he's playing small four. You know, he can finally – he's his natural position, in my opinion, is, is the two guard – when you got a guy, it, I mean, it works because he has Rubio to run the offense, and then you have Mikael Bridges that can guard whether it be his guy or any wing that the opposing team has. Uh, they got a steal in Cam Johnson, and DeAndre Ayton has shut up a lot of people. Uh, I mean, we knew we knew he could score, we knew we knew he could rebound, but all we needed for him to be was not an, an atrocious defender. Don't be in his cancer. Don't be black in his cancer. And <laughs> And, and 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 I think he's better. I think he's I think he's better than that. Whether that's due to Monty or whoever, um, you know, you got Dario Saric off the bench. I mean, they're you know, I mean, they have a decent team. You know, and it's surprising. We'll see how far it goes. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm impressed with what I'm seeing from him. I mean, Javon Carter has been really good for them too. Like he's he's okay offensively, but he's been very solid perimeter defender for them. Um, so he's another guy that's been great. I mean, Mikhail Bridges, I, I love that guy. I would do anything to get yes. him on this team. So like this we, is yeah, I we oh I, so Chris, before you got on too, I said this is like Kevin's dream and nightmare all at once because all of his favorite players <laughs> are having phenomenal <laughs> fucking bubble seasons. And he's that like he knows now that the value of them, like the Pelicans can never afford any of these people. It's going to be, it's going to be too high. Yep. That, that has to suck, man. That, that has to suck. Cause I mean, every team, I mean, you know, we talk about Josh Hart, man, you know, um, you know, they need to start making, making Josh Hart type articles about Mikael Bridges. Cause even if he doesn't, you know, he may not show you much on the stat sheet, man, but those, those, those hustle plays, those, those 50, 50 balls, the, the he's the what defense, people he's, think Kendrick Williams is. Oh my God! Who who thinks Kendrick Williams Kendrick yeah. Williams is Mikael Bridges? Kill them uh, right now. There are a lot of people. That Kendrick Williams is just a, a hop, skip, and a jump away from being a, the most valuable player on the team. <laughs> Am, am, am I am I mistaken? Am I mistaken that I hear people clamoring from the Raptors for more Kenny Hustle? That they must see more Kenny Hustle, who is Oferlando? Oh, oh, that that's that's nice. That's I see what you did there. Um, no, because I mean, look, when you get your ass beat like they did against the Clippers, uh, and the team just looks flat and lost, you know, people, you know, it should have been Naw and Kenny Hustle time, but. People forget that when Kimrich Kimrich was starting at, at a point in the season, I believe. Yes. Uh, earlier, yeah, er, earlier in the year he was starting. And he was You're sitting that damn corner. Yeah. He was sitting that damn corner. <laughs> yep. Yep. He started okay. Orlando Johnson before go. too, though. You know. Well, factual. Fact, no, no. Factual. <laughs> and and Wesley Johnson. 
but neither okay move forward bro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah so you have you have Mikael Bridges who's playing this awesome basketball but then your boy TJ Warren who's the been the best player in Orlando 43 and a half points seven and a half boards three blocks three and a half assists one and a half steals Kevin the goddamn Suns gave him and the second round pick to the Pacers. They, they sent a pick with him for just cash. Like, that is insane. I was so furious when that trade happened. It was like, how long have we needed a wing? And, like, they're paying to dump him, you know. Give them a second, and we have him. Uh, I was so mad because it wasn't even like, you know, people are like, well, he's, he's developed this this outside shot. He shot 43% from three his last year in Phoenix. Like, it was there already, you know? Like, he saw all the flashes and all the – he like, that guy finishing through contact is unbelievable, you know? I mean, you saw that in college. Like, I, I never really give a shit about college basketball, but I was, like, watching him play because I heard about him and I saw highlights of him, like, finishing through contact because I love, like, layups and weird floaters and, like, unorthodox, like, finishers, and he's definitely that – and like watching him play that year, I was just like in love with him. And ever since, because he just has so much weird stuff in it, he's just such a unique score um, that, that like I was infuriated that we didn't land him. And then now it's just like, Oh my God, you know, what is happening? I, yeah. I said, if I was him, I wouldn't have I, on the back of the Jersey, I'd put cash considerations <laughs> and, and put the dollar uh, sign. And that would petty. be my back of my Jersey. I'd be that petty. Yeah. I would absolutely because how can you not carry that chip with you for the rest of your career? We used to drag cash considerations all the time with Dell Dimps, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> that, you could, but you can hold that up at the press conference. Yeah. Just like, it's a like I guess a blank check. I don't know. A little sack of money. So then, Kevin, we also have to throw in Karis Levert. We have to yeah. throw in Fred Van Vliet, who is not necessarily your guy, but is somebody that Pelicans fans have been obsessed with too. Because yeah. when we did our Toronto, you know, trade examination last year before the AD deal was done, Van Vliet was somebody that everybody wanted to try to get. We knew he wasn't going anywhere, but now this dude, he is playing like a frontier point guard. And Karis Levert is showing everybody that he can score again without Kyrie Irving in a way. And also, you know, I mean, this one's been happening for a long time now but in 2014 i wrote my first article for the bird rights and at the end i threw in hey we should trade for this guy chris middleton they're not using him and i really like i think he has really good potential and i wrote like about four or five more trade pieces that involved him after that and he's also balling in the bubble of course but he's been doing that for a couple years now um he's not a secret anymore at all but that's another guy i always loved yeah this is this has been a very interesting start to this chris you got san antonio who we thought would be washed and they're two and one and then you have the lakers two and one but have not looked great and then you have the clippers now one and two monty walker's another guy i love too and he's doing pretty well out there for san antonio I mean, I I think right now, man, you know, you got a lot of teams trying to trying to find find back or establish uh, momentum or rhythm that they had when the season when the season ended or when they were at their their peak during the regular season. 
Uh, I mean, hell, the Clippers are welcoming back guys, but I think, you know, their, their situation and their setup with, you know, it's a lot different from LA where, I mean, I think the, you know, if you're running through two guys and one's a, one's a wing or, you know, a, a swing man of sorts and the other's a big man, it's a lot easier to, you know, spread guys out and do other things. And when you're running with your, your two best players being a two and a three, uh, and the Clippers were still welcoming bad guys or, or welcoming in new talent when this thing uh, got suspended to begin with, with, you know, with Morris and Reggie Jackson and, you know, all these guys. So, um, I mean, Lou Will's back now and they're, they're going to have to get back Montrez at some point. But, yeah, I mean, it has been weird. The Spurs, I, I mean, I'm su- I'm surprised, but should I be surprised? You know, I mean, I, I think that um, Pop, you know, uh, we've we've given him the benefit of the of the doubt for a long time and you know he's made some mistakes over the over the stretch run I don't think he handled that Kawhi situation uh as as well as he should have and I don't think he made the best the best trade for the team either um but I mean you look at some of these players that are that are on the team that are that are finally getting their chance to shine even without LaMarcus Aldridge Lonnie Walker DeJounte Murray's healthy uh, you know, you got, you got Derek White. Um, I, I mean, there's, they have some talent and they have some really good defenders in that backcourt as well. DeRozan is, you know, finding, finding a way to mid range his way to 25 to 30 points still. Um, I don't think they have enough to get to that eighth or ninth spot, but if there's a coach Outside of Nick Nurse in this in this bubble that I wouldn't want to bet against, of course, it's Popovich, man. But I think as you get towards the you know the later five, six, seven, you'll see you'll see these teams that are supposed to be elite start to play in the way that they're supposed to, getting their focus ramped up for the serious and the actual playoff games to start. Yeah, this is a real tough weekend for you know end of the week and weekend for San Antonio with Denver tomorrow. Um, Utah on Friday and then the Pels on Sunday. So yeah, for San Antonio at two and one, you'd have to figure coming into the Pelicans game, they'll be two and three, most likely, um, unless something that we're surprised by happens if they continue to play well. But that could be quite well on the ninth, could be an elimination game. So let's talk about the Pelicans. The first question we need to talk about is Zion Williamson. And today there are multiple reports from people who are unidentified sources. There's nobody has a name attached to anything, but I've, it's in the New York Post. It's in on ESPN. People said, A, Zion Wilson looks out of shape, and B, um, either something is more wrong with him than we know, or the Pelicans are being too cautious. Kevin, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Which do you think it's all of the above, one of the above, none of the above, what? I think it's like – Probably none of the above. I mean, I mean, I guess he's a little bit out of shape. I, I'll agree with that. He definitely doesn't look in prime condition right now, but I'm not, like, concerned about it. Like, he's going to work his way into shape. Um, you know, obviously it would have been better if he wouldn't have had to miss any time. I thought he was going to be in a little bit better shape when he came in because um, I didn't think – based off of that photo we saw, I was like, okay, he's going to be somewhere between that and, and where he was when the season ended. Uh, but he's a little bit more like to where the season began in terms of roundness and uh, and obviously, uh, you know, getting winded and stuff like that. But, I mean, he's going to work himself into it. I'm not that concerned about it. I don't 
he he always walks insane. Like I saw a tweet that said like he he looks like uh, he walks like he's carrying his his uh, mattress into the living room, and I thought that was really yeah. fun because he walks like he walks like a robot from the eighties, you know, like in an eighties sci fi movie, but like a yeah. little like a baby or something, you know, like that's just how he walks. So he looks weird. He looks like something's wrong with him, but it's just. Uh, a weird build, um, weird body mechanics. And, you know, it's something that they talked about um, from the day they drafted him. And we're working on changing that. And, you know, whatever, this way the season played out, it threw a wrench into it. But, I mean, I'm not that worried about it. We saw him look quite dominant offensively in that game um, the other day. I mean, when he drove through, like, four Grizzlies defenders to get that bucket, you know, that was, it, it looked like he was going through an obstacle course on American Ninja Warrior. He looked fine. I mean, defensively, his head's not where you want it to be, obviously, but um, he's going to be okay. And he's a rookie. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Cause he's had such a big name coming into the league. His uh, first overall pick this, you know, there's this, storyline built around the bubble that the league did whatever it could to get him in here because he's so marketable or whatever. And there's just this huge spotlight on him. So everything about him is going to be nitpicked and picked apart. But I think he just is a guy that's had an injury problem that, and a guy that they're worried about his conditioning that they're working on and they're just treating him like they would anybody else um, that they plan on building around for the future. And they're building for the long-term future. And I think he's, He's, there's nothing like insidious about what's happening with him. You know, I think everybody wants to jump to this crazy conspiracy theories all the time. If something was really wrong with him, he wouldn't be playing. You know, they would have a good, they could even, if they wanted to hide it, have a good excuse. He could have not come back from the family emergency he left for, you know, and just let him go there and heal up and nobody would ever know, you know. Um, it's. I don't think it's anything um, weird about it. It's just them managing his health and his body, and he's getting back into form, and I think he's going to be okay. So, Chris, we have the Pelicans in at one and two. Um, before we knew anything, we figured they would lose the first two games. Your eyes always mess with you and start telling you different things, but here we are, one and two. How fair is it to Alvin Gentry? And no, of course, we understand none of this is ever fair, but how fair is it to Alvin Gentry to be in this situation again where the fan base is expecting, hey, you can you can make the playoffs, but you've also had to do this with a different lineup basically every night again and may still not know exactly how much you get to use your number one pick over these next five. How does he get it? Do you think the Pelicans have made their final evaluation of him already going into next season? Or is – you know, could something change based on what they do or do not do? Well, I mean, sure. Um, you know, they, yeah. And to be honest, I don't think Griffin knew, he knew who, who Alvin Gentry was when he decided to, you know, to retain him going forward. He's known him since their days back in Phoenix. So, and it's not like, you know, Alvin, Alvin hasn't changed much. So I don't think there's much of, of, of an, a evaluation that needs to be done. You know, you know who he is today, and you know more than likely who he will be going forward. Um, and it's no different from um, Mike D'Antoni in Houston. You know, certain coaches believe in a system, and they are going to ride that system no matter what. 
It is up to said front office structure, GM, uh, president of basketball operations to supply that coach with the tools in which they need because he ain't changing. And we've seen that throughout his time in New Orleans. Is it fair? No. But, I mean, unfortunately, it's the situation that a lot of coaches have been have been put in over time. Um, it's his duty at this point to find a way to make them work. I mean, and it, there's, there's no need, I, I don't think, for, for excuses. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure if you ask Alvin, there are things in which he would say that he could adjustments, that he could make certain observations that he could make that may have stolen them a game or two or won them a game down the stretch. Um, you know, I, I think if they were to go out of this bubble in embarrassing fashion with the talent, the talent that they have and the schedule that they have left, for example, you know, I mean, they have they have what uh, today's Monday. Well, no, I'm sorry, Tuesday. They have uh, another day, another full day of rest before they have to uh, play Sacramento, who is not playing good basketball right now. You know, they don't have a reason right now. I mean, Zion's, Zion finally finished the game. So especially with that time and another practice, then he's going to, you know, his minutes are going to go up a little bit. You know, they're slowly inching back to what they were supposed to be, what people were expecting uh, when this bubble first started. Um, I think if they go out in embarrassing fashion and they don't take care of business um, and win, let's see, you got one, two, three, four, five. If, if, if they don't win four out of these five games, which I think is more than is more than they're more capable of doing, uh, if they were to lose, uh, I don't know, you know, four of them, you know, for example, or something like that, I, I think then you make a change. But knowing Griffin – knowing the situation, knowing the fact that this team is as young as they are. And that's the, that's the biggest element of this whole equation. No matter what, we have to remember how young they are. Um, I don't think that there's, that there's any reason to panic. I don't think Griffin's going to panic, even if I don't feel like Gentry is the coach for the future. You know, but, I mean, we've seen this over the time in NBA history with coaches, coaching changes have eventually been, been made. We'll let, we'll let history do its thing and see how that happens. But I mean, if they're not going to take any type of analytical data from this bubble, if they're not going to make any front office, well, any any uh, roster decisions off this bubble, like like Griffin mentioned, you know, I don't see why you would um, why you would change a coach unless something really off of the boards happens. Um, so, Kevin, here we are then watching Brandon Ingram in these three games. We game one. Yeah, he had moments, um, but it wasn't a great game for anybody. It was a solid game, but not a great game for anybody. Then you get to game two, he's got the ball in his hands, and he's ball basically, it looked good when it left his hand. It was maybe there he could have passed it off, but it looked good when it left his hand. Then you see in the third game down the stretch, you can go to Brandon. He made things happen. He took big shots, he made big shots. He, I think he needed to see himself do this again because there was a question amongst fan, the fan base. There were people, could you coexist? Da, 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 da. But now you're hearing the baby Kevin Durant comparisons from outside of the circle. And I think he needed to have a game like last night where he showed he could close. Oh, yeah, definitely. And also, I think, you know, going back to the – when, when the Pelicans were built around Anthony Davis and, and Marcus Cousins. Like, 
there wasn't like a hierarchy. Nobody really like there wasn't an established hierarchy. And I feel like in Gentry system, it's always going to kind of be that way in some sense. And especially once Zion is, um, you know, get, starts to get closer to his, uh, his full potential, um, then you're going to start having more questions. But I thought it was like good to see it was like, okay, the hierarchy in this close in this closing uh, quarter is Brandon Ingram is is one A. You know he's the guy we're going to ride him, and I think that installed the confidence in him uh, that will pay dividends going down the stretch, and the, and also the confidence in the team to know like we can dump it to Brandon and he can create for himself when not, when anything else when anything's breaking down when everything's uh, sealed up by the defense, just get it to Brandon because he can make something happen on his own. And I think we've been needing that guy for a long time. Drew Holiday used to be our best guy at that to create his own bucket. Um, and, you know, he, while Drew is really good at getting into the paint and, and uh, getting to the rim, uh, he has his flaws. And when he's creating for himself, sometimes he's a high turnover guy and sometimes he misses like layups. Um, but Ingram be establishing himself as the is that guy, the closer is what you really need because he's the most dynamic scorer we have. He can score from every level consistently, um, and he has just every trick in the bag. And we saw how he created space for himself in multiple ways in that fourth quarter. And um, it, you know, it's it's so exciting to finally have a wing like we've never had a true wing player since Jamal Mashburn. Um, yeah. Pedro was was great, but he was one dimensional, you know? Um, so it's so exciting to have somebody like that on this team. Finally. Yeah. The thing about Ingram that I, I, I really appreciate in all of this is you can see that he is not decided that he is one thing offensively. Yep. He is determined to be all things, yeah. not, and it, and it may not be equally well at everything, but he's going to have all of them. I'm going to have the drive. I'm going to have the step back. I'm going to have the crossover. I'm going to be able to post up. I'm going to be able to shoot it from the corner. He is developing all of those skills as a scorer. And that part, that to do that as, as much of that, again, I have to keep reminding people every time I have this conversation, this is a dude who did not shoot the ball until right before camp. Yeah. Like weeks, two, two or three weeks before camp. Did yeah. not shoot a ball. That was stunning when we found out that he hadn't even been dribbling or shooting like so close to camp. That was really shocking to me. Yeah, so to, to now see this guy beginning to emerge, and I think what was something that was great about it, not only did he create for himself, he wasn't left on an island to create for himself. They still yeah. ran high screens and just to give him some space. You know, Derek Favors would come up and give a nice, good screen just to give him a start so he could get that corner turn and get himself in position. And, and the team moved away from him. They didn't get stagnant. For a little bit, they did at the beginning of the fourth. But down the stretch, they started moving again away from the ball, which was just as important in order to give themselves, you know, the opportunities to make those shots. Because he got some good, clean looks. And they defended well. And yeah. Chris, uh, uh, the defense down the stretch, getting their hands on basketballs, Lonzo, Drew in particular, um, both getting their hands on basketballs, that was really impressive at the close. Speaking of defense, let me ask you guys, how much of a factor do you think Jeff Bizdelic not being there has been? Like, I feel like, you know, 
the structure is always there from what he put in, but not having him there to adjust during the games, even though I know they're able to communicate, um, I think has been problematic. And also, like, you know, we always talk about you need an asshole in the locker room. Well, he was the asshole of the coaching staff. And, like, not having, you know, like, Alvin Gentry is such a player's coach and such, like, a drunk uncle kind of guy that, like, having that guy that will get in your ass if you're not boxing out, um, if you're not um, protecting the rim or you're not staying in front of your man, I think makes a big difference. Do you guys think that his absence, his physical absence has played a big part in some of the bad stuff we've seen from the team early on? Go ahead, Chris. Well, I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I'd be, the defense started to come together even with him being a, being a part of the team um before the before the start well, uh, before the suspension I should say um so I don't know if it's necessarily about about him not being being around I don't know you know what I'm sure he's giving some type of uh you know a, opinion or details or certain things that certain observations that that he's given through text or through video conferences or whatever while he's while he's staying back at home um you know, in all honesty, even when even when Jeff was uh, running his complete system or the system that he wanted to before the um, before the players kind of gave a they started to run the things that they wanted to do in, in reference to switching and you know how they were how they were configuring things there. I mean, a lot of it, man, is not only is it was it was it effort was it was it wanting to was it it was communication. You know those things. Those things don't don't change. I think that you saw the biggest difference you saw from Game Three uh, that you didn't see in that second half uh, against Utah, and that you didn't see at all against the Clippers was just them coming out hungry. They came out wanting to make a statement, wanting to prove something. They looked light. They looked energized. They looked pissed off. Mm-hmm. Those guys were moving faster than they were in the previous games. They weren't waiting for the offensive player to make a move. They talked on defense. Uh, they they were able to contest a lot of shots that I didn't think that they would I didn't think that they would get to. Um and that's that's pretty much what did it. I mean it, it's 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 no secret with them. If they want to we talk about the offense, we talk about pace, but if you're not getting stops, you're not able to get into the offense in which the way that you want to. You're not going to be able to get into your set and take advantage of uh, you know, the athleticism and the overall offensive talent that they have. I just saw guys out there that wanted it more. I saw guys out there that really felt like they needed to win a game and they looked desperate. And they were also in a matchup that I think fits them well. We've been talking mm-hmm. about it for a while. Memphis is not a good matchup. Uh, I mean, they, they they don't match up well against New Orleans. The things that they want to do, uh, New Orleans is able to stop and, and control very well. And um, I think a better a better indication of where they've gotten to. Um, I would like to see it in Sacramento while Sacra- Sacramento, they don't have, um, they're not Portland in regards to how their backup works. I mean, how their, how their backcourt works, mm-hmm. but they have multiple guys like Utah has, like Utah who gives them, who gives New Orleans trouble, who can do things off the dribble, even if it's not at a spectacular level. And if they move the ball, that could give New Orleans problems if they're not on their A game. I mean, because you got uh, you got De'Aaron Fox, of course, who is as quick as as, as can be. You got Bogdanovich, who had a terrible game today, but 
I'm sure he'll re, you know, he'll rebound. You got Buddy Hill off the bench. Baysmore can, you know, can can attack you on closeouts. Um, Harrison Barnes isn't 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 the quickest. He isn't the biggest offensive threat, but he can score. Um, they got a lot of guys like that. Corey Joseph, another quick guy. Um, I want to see them against Sacramento. If they come out and they bottle up Sacramento and they come out with the same defensive intensity, then you know, then I'll be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, I feel like this team has made some real changes and adjustments. But we've known all year with this team, it, you know, they can show you one thing one game, and then the next game you'll be trying to figure out who the hell they are. Yeah. And this is my thing with, with Sacramento is we have not really, you know, the Pelicans didn't get a lot of opportunities to see them. And mm-hmm. they've not been the same lineup any time in the times they did. Um but the, the thing that they do have, even with all their injuries, they still do have some talent up front. Yeah. And you don't want to get into a situation for the Pelicans because I think we still see the, the mistakes in the front court defensively from uh, the, everybody on the bench who's a big, and there aren't many to, to call from. Whether it's Nico Melli, who's just um, – is just not a great defender, but he, he's he's not a he's not at least he's trying, but he's just not a great defender. And we know what Jaleel Okafor is defender, and we know that still it looks like Jackson Hayes is lost. So the Pelicans cannot afford to have Zion Williamson or Derek Favors either get into foul trouble or look slow. They can't be slow because the, there are some athletic and guys uh, bigs who can score on that Sacramento roster. Yeah, I mean, again, going back to guys I love, Rashawn, they have Rashawn Holmes, you know, he's a super active guy around the rim. Um, I've always loved him. Um, but I think one of the key differences in the Memphis game was, like, in the in the first two games, like, Derek Favors didn't seem like himself. He wasn't putting his body on people, boxing people out. And we saw him do that big time in Memphis. So that's going to be key. And I think there, um, David Fisher made a really good point about it. And saying that in those first two games, though, Favors couldn't really get his body on people because he had to keep coming out because guards were blowing past our guards. Like our 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 perimeter protection was mm-hmm. terrible. We were letting guys get by, and then he had to come and try to recover. Then that left the basket wide open, um, creating um, easy offensive rebounds, especially in the Jazz game. Um, and, and like. That's what's uh, like Chris said. It's going to be interesting to see how our guards match up against their guards because Fox is so fast and so quick in the open court. If we can able to bottle him up and allow Favors to sit back and be able to put his body on people and rebound, that's going to be a big key to the game because we saw how much that affected the game in Memphis with him playing like you want him to play and like how he should have should be playing. You know, just not really worrying about getting offense out of him, but just doing those small things, setting screens boxing out, rebounding, and and deterring people from getting to the basket. Yeah, Holmes and Belitza to me are the story are gonna be the story of the game. If you let Holmes and Belitza both do double doubles like they basically did against Dallas today, yep. then the Pelicans are in trouble. They can't give up that many boards. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I I definitely agree. I will say one thing um that um I think could work in New in New Orleans' favor is that um if there are I know for sure that there are three matchups that Lonzo Ball takes personal. You may not be able – he doesn't show emotion on the court very often. But it's the Lakers. It's um, it's the Clippers and Patrick Beverly, even though he didn't show it the other night. Um, 
and it's De'Aaron Fox. Those are three matchups that he goes out there and he's on a mission. Um, and you know, De'Aaron Fox and him go back, you know, go back to the days at college and so on and so forth. And Fox, Fox didn't have always the greatest thing to say about Lonzo. Lonzo never really responded. But it seems that when he's out there against De'Aaron, he's a different guy, especially in the pros. It's just it's a different level of juice for him to prove something. Mm-hmm. And that last matchup they had in Sacramento was a perfect was a perfect example. Um I believe that was the game in which in which JJ um, he had he he had a floater or or it was something that ended up happening. But Lonzo had had a great game, and he defended De'Aaron Fox very well for the you know the possessions in which he was on him. So um, if Lonzo comes out hot, if he comes out hungry and aggressive, you know the rest of the team is for sure going to follow him. We know what Drew's going to bring. Um, but if, if if Drew has help on that perimeter, and which I you know I, I I think this is a matchup in which you could see it from Lonzo, hopefully, um, that'll be really good for their chances to get up on Sacramento early, um, and not and not let them get get them get themselves established in a rhythm. Okay, so the Pelicans will wrap on this. The Pelicans um, three games uh, in four days coming up. This is. The, the opponents are not necessarily the most difficult, but the stretch itself of, of just what the toll could be physically is going to be the biggest test for this team. Um, you go to, you get Sacramento, Washington, San Antonio. Do you, do they go three and O on these? Uh, we'll start with Kevin. I think so. I mean, I, if they lose to Washington, th- that would be the most Pelicans thing that could happen. You know, like you blow out, you blow out Sacramento, you get blown out by Washington somehow would be the most Pelicans thing ever. But I mean, Washington is so depleted that you gotta, you gotta take them out. Um, I think they will play well against Sacramento. Um, I, I think that it's a decent matchup. Like you said, the guys you worry about is Holmes. To me, the two biggest guys to worry about is Rashawn Holmes and De'Aaron Fox. You can contain them. I think that, that like ensures a win. And then Sacramento, I mean, in San Antonio, obviously we're probably going to get out coached in that game because you're going up against one of the greatest masterminds. But luckily for us, they're playing pretty small right now, and I think that will definitely benefit us in the sense that we won't get beat up inside. Although, um, you know, Pirtle's a like a, a big guy, but uh, you know, if you he can't play that many minutes, and then after that they go pretty small. Um, and you know, they're playing, um, DeMar DeRozan at, at the four. So that's definitely like a, a matchup that we should be able to have. Um, we shouldn't get killed by their size. And that's one of the main things you have to worry about with the Pelicans because, you know, up front we're, we're still pretty weak. Um, so yeah, I think there's a good chance of going three and zero. but I'm going to say if we lose one, it's going to be Washington because that's just how it goes. <laughs> Chris. I, I think, um, I, I think they're going. They're going two and one. Uh, I actually think that, that they're going to win. I would. They're going to win four out of these last uh, five matchups here. But I think the game in which they're going to lose to San Antonio, uh, just strictly because they move the ball and they are able to penetrate, and uh, they have they have multiple guards that are that are going to be able to uh, to get into the paint or get into the you know the mid range and find open shooters. And, you know, as we talked about ball movement, it, 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 it can give new Orleans problems and they move the ball extremely well. That's what we saw 
Uh, I mean, hell, it's what you see damn near every time New Orleans played them. But it's what you saw in Zion's first game uh, outside of Zion controlling himself. New Orleans just wasn't able to corral itself defensively because San Antonio continued to move the ball. And on top of that, um, DeMar DeRozan gives Drew Holiday problems. You know, it's not it's it's not at at an elite level, but I I do assume at some point you know they are going to put Drew on Demar Derozan because you mean you want to you want to contain him first. He is their best offensive threat. Um, but for all the shit we talk about with Demar not not being a quote unquote superstar, his troubles in Toronto, or not being able to shoot the three, um, he has enough enough strength, enough moves, and a lot of a lot of comfort comfortability in that in that mid-range area to give Drew problems. He fucked Drew up in that in that last matchup. Uh so I don't know if that's the best um I don't know if that's going to be the best style of um of opponent for them. So I, I just I'd be too much of a homer to say they're gonna win out. So they have to lose one game and I'm picking San Antonio. That is a that is a weird lineup for them to have to go up against. Because if it's if they're starting Lonnie Walker, DeJounte Murray, Derek White, um, DeMar, and um, Pirtle, who, if the Pelicans send out their typical five, you're putting Ingram on DeRozan, and you've got Favors and Pirtle, that's fine, because they're both going to be in the same place. Yeah, yeah. But it's weird to think about Ingram on DeRozan, and it's, then you're talking like about, trouble. I mean, or Zion? Are you putting oh. Zion under Rosen? Please don't. <laughs> and, that, See, and, like, and that's why put, I think it's going to be that, Drew. That, Where do you yes. put Zion? Where do you put Zion? Because he, who does he guard? Yeah, in that group, who does he guard? Because you cannot. Who guards him at the same time? I can see that. I mean, that 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 definitely that definitely makes sense. I, I just think San Antonio has so many good defenders, man. I mean, that that yeah. like it, it just feels like a game that New Orleans is going to have twenty turnovers. It just does. One thing, uh, I, yeah. when I look at that matchup, too, super, super, yeah. Go ahead. I said when I look at that matchup too, I think one one of the things it could it's either going to be a huge success or a huge failure is that it's going to that Alvin Gentry is definitely going to play Zion at the five with Hart, Ingram, Lonzo, and Drew, or maybe replace one of those guys with JJ for long stretches because he's going to be able to get away with that because he's basically playing against uh, two, well, two guard, well, really one guard and three small forwards with their size and then a, a center in the middle is who, who they're playing against. So it's going to, it's going to make him want to go small, which is what he always wants to do, um, which could be a huge benefit when it works right, or it could be a disaster defensively. Um, so we'll it see. It feels like, they they're going to have to play off of of San Antonio because to me it seems like San Antonio is not a great three point shooting team. They are not a great rebounding team. So the thing you don't want to let them do is you can't turn the ball over against them, which the Pelicans struggle with, and you certainly cannot get into a position where they are getting to the rim. So I mean, to me, it's like I want I want San Antonio to shoot jump shots. If you're making them shoot jump shots, that's the that's I don't, I think that's the best way because yeah. otherwise, if they're if they're outrunning the Pelicans, which they could with all that length and and just small guys, if the Pelicans are making mistakes, because I mean, look at what the Sixers turned it over. What Sixers turned it over thirteen times and won by two. 
in over, you know, uh, with against San Antonio. If the Pelicans turn it over 20 times, 25 times, yeah, that that's a really tough matchup for them. Because in transition, I don't think they'll – I think they'll get killed in transition if they turn it over. I mean, I, I just – you guys you guys got to give me reasons as of why they won't turn the ball over 20 times. Yeah, it's just there's so many guys that could come in and defend, and I think they're going to do everything to, to, to make Ingram put the ball on the floor because yep. they're lower. So they're going to all be like, okay, now let's throw Rudy Gay at him and mm-hmm. let Rudy body him up for, for 20 minutes. But the other thing when you look at that matchup too um, is like anytime Hurdle's not on the floor, if you could get Zion in there at the five or just playing down low, I think it's a huge advantage. I mean, look, Embiid had 40 points on him, you know. So if you can get him down there, there's really nobody that can guard him. And then you're also creating that mismatch and you're probably going to get him to the line a lot, get, get those smaller guys in foul trouble trying to defend him and his strength. So there's also that mismatch that we have to throw at them as well. This is another one of those games I think, you know, the Pelicans would have done better against um, – would have done better against Clippers had they, again, gone inside out, started inside out. And that's what they did, attacking inside or throwing the ball inside um, last game against Memphis. I think, again, that's what you would have to do against San Antonio is attack them inside out. Get to the line. This is a game that Zion should get – Double figure free throw attempts. If you against San Antonio, if he doesn't get ten to fourteen free throw attempts, then something's wrong. Because if Joel Embiid, who is not aggressive at going to the post, can get twelve free throw attempts against Spurs, Zion should get at least twelve. Yeah, totally. So. We'll see if they go four and five, four four out of five, as Chris says. Kevin, do you think four out of five? Yeah, I think they're going to lose another game somewhere in there. It's just too much to ask, but I think I think they're going to win these three. Um, and to back up what Chris said, I think really I I think they're going to win the San Antonio game, but I think it's going to be one of those games where either we blow them out or they blow us out. It's not going to be close. I don't think. I I just think it's going to be one of those weird kind of games because of the weird fits and weird matchups. So is it Portland? Would you guys say yes or no? Um, Portland and uh, the Pels, 8-9 game. Uh, Chris, yes or no? Man, I I think by default, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think by default, I you have to go Portland at this point. Pels in Portland? Yeah. And do you think, so if we get to that, Pelicans undefeated against Portland this season, do you think they, they knock them off or – is winning too too much for the Pels at that point? I mean, this, there's this a lot is, to happen. This, this is all speculative right now. Yeah, Nobody, this ain't hard and fast, but I'm just saying today. It's a it's a this is a different team that they that they play, you know, uh, or that they'll be playing now with Nurkic and Zach Collins not being around for those first those first few matchups, and Portland trying to work in Melo for a few of those games. Um, but I, something about Portland just hasn't looked right to me, man. Even whether whether they're healthy or not healthy, they just don't feel like the same threat, the same team. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that New Orleans was able to sweep them. And I think they'll be able to. I think that, that that's a matchup that they'll be able to to uh, overcome. Uh, we can make the jokes about 
you know, Dame still being in Drew's prison uh, along with John Moran and countless other uh, other wings. But um, I think more than anything, if if Portland was if they looked like the team that they were last year, um, I, I I may feel differently. But, man, they have such a brutal stretch coming up. If they're by the if they're able to get to the playing game, they're going to be so beat up and probably tired. The Pelicans have a much easier stretch, and I don't I don't want to say that they'll be rested, but they won't have had to face the same level of competition. Um, I, you know, matchups, everything included, I think New Orleans will come out on top. Kevin, what about you? I think it'll be those two teams. I mean, the Suns are definitely scaring me though. Uh, if if we slip a little bit, they can they can take over. But um, I don't. I honestly don't think we could beat this Portland team twice if we're the ninth and they're the eighth. I think uh, if we only have to beat them once, then we'll make it into the playoffs. Um, but I just think they just have all that size, and that's that's our weakness. And then you have just a stone cold killer. I know Drew's put them in in, in prison many times before, but that dude in the playoffs. And especially in meaningful games, and when you need a big shot, Damian Lillard is just unbelievable. And uh, I think he's definitely on a mission. You know, I think not making the playoffs would be something very personal for him. Um, so I think he's going to do everything possible to get his team in that position. And I just think it's going to be too hard to beat them twice. I mean, you got you, that's saying you're going to beat this team six times in one year. You know, that's that's pretty nuts. I I would have to say, yeah, that my gut tells me that it's the Pels and, and Portland for the eight nine and that Portland moves on. And I think Portland could give I think the Portland can give the Lakers seven. I really do. I think I mean it wouldn't shock me if Portland beat the Lakers in seven, but I think they'll give them seven if they if that's the matchup. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, like we said, we talked about this earlier, but they don't have anybody to guard those guards. And then, you know, the size and, and Nurkic is going to be physical with AD, which he hates. Um, so I think they are the team that the Lakers are definitely don't want to face uh, in the first round. So, I mean, let me, I mean, do you guys do you guys think because the other thing I'm thinking about with Portland and I know I said by default, but I wonder here with them still still having some ground what what they're they're two depending on what happens uh tonight uh in the ongoing game with houston they're what two two and a half games back with memphis mm-hmm. um with the schedule that they have coming up and it's it's hell it's brutal i i, I mean could we be we might be looking at a situation that hell even if memphis loses out you know portland may not be able to beat enough teams left on this schedule for them to overcome the deficit, even a couple games. That's, that's a good point. Um, I, it's just the, the whole thing you wonder is like that. That's why so much of this is so fluid. You know, it depends on what team's motivations are when people clinch, what, you know, that still to me is by Monday, you know, I think a lot will be shaking and people will know different things, particularly in the East. Um, so yeah, that, that is concerning. Um, it's just for some reason, that's what I'm saying is it's a gut. I, I'm, there's every reason to be wrong, um, and say it's too hard for Portland, but I mean, I think at some point, yeah, I mean, I mean, they close with, they close with Dallas and Brooklyn. Dallas could have clinched their spot and be done with it. Brooklyn will be done. Their seating is done. The Clippers could be load managing, you know, 
Saturday. Who knows? So I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. And you never know which Philly team is going to show up. But so, even, I mean, would... even the Clippers matchup, like the Clippers' weakness is also size. So you have you, you have Nurkic out there. You have Collins. You have Whiteside to throw in there to create problems for them. You could I could see Portland beating them. Um, you know, it wouldn't I don't be a shock for them to beat Denver. Denver. What's that? You wouldn't be shocked for them to beat Denver. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? So, so, yeah, it's really like outside of the Clippers and Philly, which are both winnable games. No, no, no. I, and I, I definitely – and like I said, I think, I think by default now, I mean, maybe, maybe we're underselling Phoenix a little bit because out of all the bubbles, I mean, out of all the teams in the bubble, I mean, are there, are there, are there any – is there a team that has uh, a more impressive – couple wins on their stretch right now than you know phoenix has beating beating dallas and the clippers back to back um i mean they look to be playing playing really good basketball together and we may be underselling what they could do um, see they get look, but look this is what they get their next three though and see again their back end is fine but their next three indiana miami oklahoma city tough absolutely tough all three of those teams are going to defend the hell out of them yeah, you, that's the thing is that they all three of those teams are going to defend the hell out. They don't. They didn't get. They didn't get defended against Dallas. You know what I mean? That that that's not a team that defends. And then the Clippers are still. We're still a shorthanded team, like we said, missing out on its best interior player, and you beat them by two. Which for the for for them it doesn't matter. You win the game. It doesn't matter if you're Phoenix, but the circumstances would say you're you're a play away from it going the other way and us saying you're two and one and that's cool three and oh is much more impressive in that you know in that light if you take out the situation but indiana miami to me and oklahoma city they're not gonna get any easy baskets against any of those teams i mean listen at portland when we talked uh when the when the restart plans first got announced, I mean Portland was was the team that we both mentioned. Just just getting just being as as deep as they were as they were going to be. And I I, I mean look, I mean a, a lot has been. I I don't think we're talking about the job that Carmelo Anthony has been able to do, uh, settling into his role. Uh, he's not. He's you know exactly what you're getting with him, but everybody seems to be okay with that. The team's okay with that. The players okay is okay with that and he's okay with that and whether he's a third option or a second option i mean it's working for them right now um Nurkic is healthy he's you know he's being he's he's been an anchor he made some 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 big plays in that game late against boston on sunday in which they almost they almost won um yeah i mean i mean when, when we're talking depth and then some of those some of those guys you know anthony's uh uh simons and you know i, I mean they have they have a few, a few wild cards to throw in there as well. Gary Trent and company. So, um, no, nah, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't debate. I, I can't debate anybody that says Portland. I, I do think it's going to be them by default, but I, I, I think it's going to be, I can also see it not working their way because of the schedule that they have left and the, you know, the amount of ground that they have to overcome. I mean, they only have the, you only have to be within four. Of eight, that's all it is. Is be within four. And the, so, the thing with them too is like, how many teams have three guys that you can give the ball to in crunch time, and they can create a shot from anywhere on the court? Like they have those three guys, plus then they have the big guy in the middle that you could dump it in, 
and he, he can overpower somebody or he's a great passer to find one of those other three guys that are on the court for him. You know, that, not many teams have that. And then, and Whiteside on any given night is a 2020 guy if he's properly motivated. What, yeah, I mean. You know what I mean? And he's, and he's going to block shots. So at the very least, they make it difficult for you to score. You know what I mean? They, they do enough that if you get past Lillard and McCollum, that they have people who can make it still uncomfortable for you oh. defensively. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 looking at Memphis's schedule here. It is uh, it is completely hell. Oh yeah. my goodness! I mean, um, to go zero and three against the th- only three losing teams you had on your schedule for them that was a that's a that was a death knell. I think in and of itself, they had to if they wanted to put themselves in a position where they didn't have to worry. Now they're. You know, anything can go wrong for them. But they had to, with their team intact, they had to at least go two and one. They had to. They had yeah. to because they knew they knew the rest of that schedule. It was no different before the restart. They had to win some of those games. I, I remember they, they, they almost lost a, a Madden game against Washington. Like, they were just certain games. You know, they lost against Orlando. There were certain games they knew, that everybody knew they had to win because hell was coming. They, you know, they were gonna have to go against these teams. A good majority of these teams that they're playing New Orleans twice, um, you know. So and hell, I mean, they, they, uh, they weren't able to get it done here. So I mean, I, like you said, I mean, there's there, there's a lot to be determined. We don't know what these teams are gonna do. What who's gonna be motivated to do what? But um, I mean, yeah, Portland's currently up on Houston. If they're able to win tonight, I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't come down to Portland in, in New Orleans and. You know, it's def- it's going to be a different team than New Orleans face in any of those four matchups. The best thing about all of this is the, the in the bubble to me is the fact that there is no home court advantage. Yeah, I love that, and I love the fact that for a team like the Lakers <laughs> that fought so hard to have home court, <laughs> it just makes me <laughs> laugh to have home court advantage. That now. It is basically like it's also kind of a loss for Portland because it's nobody likes going to play in Portland. That's a hell of a gym to play in. Yeah. But at the same time, now to not have to go to LA, to not have to deal with that, you know what I mean? To not have to deal with the media, to not have to worry about travel, to not have to worry about tickets, none of that. Man, like the potential for upsets in this playoff is just it it gets so it's it's so much more than it's ever been. Like it's not because the teams are evenly matched at in all cases and matchups are going to be huge, but I just love the fact that no home court advantage, no extra travel days. It's just basketball, and anything can happen when you're just playing basketball. I mean, do you think the vir- virtual fans are going to swing a game or two? <laughs> <laughs> what I want to see is a player punch a virtual fan, <laughs> throw a beer, or uh, spit on a virtual. Yeah, that. <laughs> a malice in the what, what would you? I guess what would you call it? Trouble in the bubble. Trouble in the bubble. Malice in the palace. Trouble in the bubble. Somebody, you, know, you see, like somebody climb across and just start punching the screen. Yeah. <sighs> Misery at Disney, man. That's so I saw somebody uh, Photoshop T Bob throwing up into the virtual stands uh, today. That was pretty funny. T- <laughs> Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. This will not be your last visit, but I'm glad that you did decide to join me 
um, or hard to paint. So um, now, Chris, now, Kevin, now that you've been through this, are you happy with this experience? Do I get to be in the top five? Of course. Yes, definitely. Yeah, now, you're at the you're at the top of the ladder, man. I mean, Dylon, 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 Dylon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, guys. And um, for real, I think this was uh, like everything that we that I had planned. I mean, it just kind of I like the way that the conversation. I love when we do that when we go into certain places that I didn't think of. And it, it to me, um, you know, that's why I, we have such great consistent conversations. It's just. Um, there's always a different approach. There's always something else to think about and consider, even though Chris is wrong so many times. But... <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely wrong about glizzies. There's no such thing as a fucking glizzy. I oh no. For, for, first of all, first of all, don't be mad at me because because your age requirements weren't meant for you to understand what this was. Okay, kids been talking about it all day. Okay, if you mention a glizzy, go to your go. Go, go to your younger sibling and talk about a glizzy and see what they say. You're just behind in the times. Listen, that's okay when you get older and your knees start to hurt when you wake up in the morning. This shit happens. It's going to happen to me one day, but not for the next 15 years. It just, it just is what oh, it is. Whether, whether, oh. whether I'm right, wrong, or all the time, no matter what it is, I'm young and I'm pretty. And that's all that matters. <laughs> all right, then. Okay, we'll just let you go on that. I'll let you walk on that. So for Chris Connor, for Kevin Barrios, check their work at thebirdrights.com. Um, they ain't doing nothing currently. Chris probably is, but um, together they are working on something, a big piece. And whenever they put out a big piece, it's usually good. We're, um, we're talking <laughs> about a big piece. It's <laughs> sitting in a Google Doc collecting cobwebs at the moment, but we'll get to it eventually. Oh, yeah. So, you know, check them out. You know how to follow them on Twitter. It's not hard to find either one. Kevin is Kevin B for Bows. And you have the Impatient Bull, not the Impatient Bull, but Impatient Bull for Chris. And I am at DM Grub. And also check out my website, HITPWithDG.com, and buy some merch because my stuff is dope. That's all I'm going to say. This has been another edition of Hard and Paint. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening. We out. One time, right, man. One time.